At Cool Air Products, we developed AC Smart Seal Quick Shot with professionals in mind. It's the only product on the market that's three in one, with sealant, lubricant, and UV dye all in a single application. It's non toxic, non flammable, 100% safe to the touch, eco friendly, and compatible with all refrigerants. It's a safe solution option, backed by years of R&D, Intertech tested, and has sealed millions of leaks. AC Smart Seal, the professional's choice. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the HVAC Know It All podcast. I got a great guest lined up for you again. His name is Eric Ani. You guys on Instagram will know him as at Mechanical Hub. Now, Eric owns his own business, plumbing business, okay? But he does heating as well. Um, he's got a hand in running a website called mechanicalhub.com. We're going to get into a conversation regarding his business and the website, and we're going to talk about some hydronic heating. So listen up, guys. Eric's smart, passionate. All our guests, I wouldn't invite them on if they weren't intelligent and passionate and couldn't add something to the podcast. So Eric's going to add some knowledge to the podcast. Like always, guys, this is the HVAC Know It All podcast. I'm your host, Gary McCready. All right, let's get into some tool talk, guys. Um, I'm going to bring up the Tesla 316-3 because I'm in the middle of making a little video regarding formicary corrosion just to educate you guys on it a little bit. And I'm telling you right now, that leak detector is the best one I've ever held in my hand and found leaks with. It's never not found a leak. So if you guys are in the market, check out the 316-3 from Testo. I'm telling you right now, the thing is gold. All right, believe me. When it comes to yellow jacket, guys, when I first got my Super Evac uh, vacuum pump, my 6 CFM Super Evac pump, I opened up the manual and I read something that was really cool and, and I didn't know before. Um, and I'm going to give this tip to you guys. So when you're changing the oil on your vacuum pump, you want to change that oil hot. So you want to run the vacuum pump for a few minutes beforehand and then change the oil because... Um, warm oil will grab more contaminants and when you change the oil, it will be released into the bucket or whatever you're putting, um, the old oil into. If you do it cold, you'll leave more contaminants in the pump itself. So that tip comes from, uh, comes at you from yellow jacket. All right. So visit yellowjacket.com for more of their tools and whatnot. I read a post on my HVAC hub powered by HVAC note all the other day. And it was a, a tech talking about a little blue tube of thread sealant. He found it in his apprentice's bag and he was upset. He was upset because, um, guess what guys, it hardens. It doesn't really work that well. And eventually it breaks down and the threads leak anyway. He went on to thank refrigeration technologies for developing and coming out with nylon because the product is fabulous. It's unique in this industry and you're never going to see another product like it. I don't think it's made from refined refrigerant oil. So it's not going to contaminate the system. So check out Nylog guys, assembly lubricant and thread and gasket sealer. Okay. The Armstrong, uh, pump contest is now going to December 30th. So if you guys haven't put in a pump yet, you still have time. Um, armstrongfluidtechnology.com forward slash HVAC know-it-all. That's where you go to register the pump. You get your $20 Amazon gift card after the pump has been verified as a unique entry. Um, you heard off the top, a little ad for um, AC Smart Seal. Like I told you guys in the past, it works. It's oil-based, it's non-clogging. You guys need to check it out for your formicary corrosion evaporators. It works. It doesn't clog systems. It doesn't clog gauges. Um, Simply Send. Talked about Simply Send in the last podcast. It's by Field Pulse. It's free. It's for estimating and invoicing. Okay, if you want to upgrade to Field Pulse, you can do so at any time. And you can also take advantage of the free 14 day trial from Field Pulse. All right. Go to fieldpulse.com forward slash. HVAC know it all to check that out from True Tech Tools. As always, guys, 8% off your purchases. 
If you want to save on Testo, go to the homepage of my website, hvacnoadal.com. Scroll down to the True Tech Tools logo, click it. Once you do, fill out the little form and you will have preferred Testo pricing once you sign into your True Tech Tools account. Okay, guys, so Eric is on the phone and he's been kind enough to grace us with our presence on the HVAC Know It All podcast. And I follow Eric on Instagram, which probably some of you do as well. If you guys are coming from Instagram to listen to this podcast, and you guys would know him as at Mechanical Hub. So, how's it going, Eric, tonight? Yeah, good, Gary. Thanks for having me. Yeah, not a, not a problem, man. Um, now, you have a very large following on Instagram. You're up to what, over 50,000 now followers? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, it's it's crazy. We just started Instagram a little over two years ago and it really turns out to be something I enjoy and and it, apparently people are, you know, interested in what I have to say and, and show and share. So it's been fun. It's crazy how many people follow along. It 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 is it is crazy how it just kind of catches on and then uh, some of the things you do go go viral like I uh, I saw a video that you did that you threw up on Instagram a while ago and I was scrolling through my Facebook um, feed the other day and I saw that same video on Facebook and I'm pretty sure if I wasn't too tired like rubbed my eyes a bit and I looked down it had like 2.5 million views and it was the one of uh, you cleaning up some. Uh, some uh, garbage on the ground. I think it was uh, some wood scraps or wood shavings. And you said something, some, <laughs> some, something, something to the point of this is something electricians haven't learned how to do yet. <laughs> so that that video is is hilarious, and I'll tell you why. Because I've had this beef for years. I would go. I used to do a lot of install for like refrigeration piping and stuff like that. When we'd install some some uh, some new equipment. Um, and we get the electricians to come in to wire everything up. And then you go back behind to test everything and all their friggin' wire clippings are on the ground where they left them. <laughs> I'm like, guys, like, come yeah, on, it's man. Kind of, it's kind of a universal frustration, isn't it? <laughs> oh, it really it's, is. It's fun. So, well, you know, it. I think sometimes the funniest things are things that are totally true. And, you know, I think that, <clears throat> you know, obviously I, I'm biased, or or I don't know if that's the right word, but I, I made the the little video me whatever you want to call it for fun, but it's based on experience and sounds like you have the same experience as I do. Oh, I but think I think we all funny. did. Somebody shared that video back to me and said, "This is crazy, man! I can't believe." And I looked at it. He, they said something like, you know, oh, it's got so many views, and I, and I knew it did, and, and I was surprised by that and thankful for it. But then I looked down, and this was just yesterday, and I looked down, and it has over 4 million views now, and I was like, oh, my gosh, this is nuts. <laughs> that, that, so, that, that is nuts to have 4 million. I couldn't believe it when I saw it, 4 million views. for, And that's such a simple little video of something that's so true in the trades that it's, it just blows my mind that it got that many views, but it was hilarious because I'm like, this guy gets it, man. He knows exactly my pain and everybody else's pain. And I have a buddy that's an electrician and I asked him once, I said, do you pick up your wire clippings? Because this is a, he's a pretty stand up guy. I'm like, do you pick up your wire clippings on jobs? He's like, no. And I'm like, why does every electrician do that? And he never had an answer for me. It's like, it's like they think maybe they think they're, they're their god, the the god to to the trades on the job, and they just get to do whatever they want. I I I don't know if that's what they think, but for me, one of the things I was taught early is you don't leave a job site dirty. You clean it up when before you leave because what it, like if you leave it dirty, that just shows the kind of uh, the technician that you are. Like you, you're sloppy, you don't care. That's the kind of judgment you're gonna have after you leave. Uh, I don't know if you, you agree with that or not, but well. I read some of the comments on that that Facebook video and you know a lot of people were saying the same thing you just said and I I really feel that way I was taught that your truck has to be clean your work area should be clean it's a it's really a, a indicator of the type of work that you do if you're if you're a real messy person and you are disorganized and you know it, that might people might perceive 
you to not care as much about what you're doing. And that might not be the case for everybody. I mean, everybody's got a different personality. I understand that. But it was taught to me early on when I first started out as an apprentice that, you know, keep things neat, clean. You're going to be more efficient. People are going to think, you know, better of you. And and ultimately that matters in the end because, I mean, I'm self-employed and I have an unlimited uh, car wash pass. And I, I wash my truck like almost in the wintertime, I probably wash my truck daily. It's because when I show up to the person's house or the person's office space or something like that, they see the truck. They're going to look out and they're going to see me going in and out of it. And I want them to be impressed by clean vehicle because I think that that I know some people care enough to or think about it enough or long enough to think that that's probably, you know, if I care about my truck and my appearance and how my tools look, then I probably care about my job. And that's like my overall goal. So, yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I mean, I, I'm, I'll be the first to admit my, the back of my trucks never always the cleanest just because I got, sometimes I'll have like five things on the go and I'll, I'll pick up, stuff for everything that I, I got to change filters. That's part of what I do. Then you got to throw a whole bunch of filters in your truck and move on. And by the end of the week, sometimes my truck's a bit of a disaster, but I try to keep it semi-organized. But the, for me, a job site though is the most important because that's where the customer is going to walk, walk after you're done. He's going to see, or she's going to see your mess if you've left it there and it's not going to look good on you because if they call your boss, your boss is not going to be happy. And most likely you're going back there for free, not to get paid at to clean that up. So, I mean, what it, within your company, do you have employees or are you, uh, are you the only guy? Uh, used to have employees. Now I'm just one man show again. One, one man show. Eh? Okay. So it's even more important for you because you're a one man show to make sure that you tidy up after you're done. Because I mean, when you're the one, when you're the only guy, <laughs> that's that's bringing in the money right you you have to really make sure you're right. on top, top of your game so um so what's cool about this is you and i we've spoken through instagram but we've never actually had a conversation on the phone so i guess we're just kind of kind of learn about each other organically here as as we go um so if you don't mind if you could tell me a little bit of your background and how you got into the trade and, and kind of what you're up to these days yeah, yeah. So how I got into the trade was uh, probably similar to a lot of people, actually. Um, I started out as a teenager being told I had, you know, I wanted to earn money. And I was lucky enough to have family that were um, a couple uncles and a grandfather that were plumbers. And my dad was a land surveyor, so I used to have to go hold the story pole for him. And then, gosh, that was the most boring thing in the entire world for me so it, at an early age I didn't think I'd ever want to do something like that so I said dad how can I go out and make some money and tried the mowing lawns thing and stuff and that never really added up so uh, I was told I had to go work with my grandpa and uncles during the summer when I was out of school that's probably when I was like 13 14 15 years old and and uh, helped out did the I was the gopher you know go for this and that big holes and things like that and moving forward uh graduated high school did really well in school enjoyed school and decided that I would try to give college a try and so I got accepted into the University of Minnesota at the engineering school and I went to a couple years of engineering school and my biggest uh fault in that situation was that I was paying as I was going so I was working all the time and I didn't ever have any money and didn't quite know. I don't think anybody does when they're 17, 18, 19 years old, what they want to do for the rest of their life, or at least I didn't. So I decided what I was doing at the time just really wasn't right. And I was going to take some time off at school. And so I just, you know, pursued looking into an apprenticeship program because I knew I I needed a job and I was the type of person that wouldn't probably sit around even back then. So, um, I actually, I joined the union uh, in Minneapolis as an apprentice, first year apprentice. And I did that because I knew that they were going to send me to school and uh, I was going to get training. And so I went through my apprenticeship uh, through the UA, the United Association, and 
uh, in Minnesota, we have a state license. So I had to, you know, once to become a journeyman. So once I finished my apprenticeship, I, I took the, uh, journeyman test passed, uh, did really well in, in as a plumbing apprentice in school. So the test was, it was pretty easy for me and I was working and I enjoyed what I was doing. I, I you know, I worked for a great company, um, smaller company with like 30 plumbers that uh treated everybody really well and, and more or less like family and and i didn't have any reason to go back to school um uh, because i was you know good at what i was doing for for as much experience as i had at least and and um making good money and i just kind of never looked back from there i worked for a few years as a journeyman plumber for that company and early on uh, as soon as i could in minnesota you have to work for a year as a journeyman, then you can sit for your master test, which I think would be like a red seal on Canada. I'm yep. not exactly sure of the technicalities there, but as a master plumber, I can then um, purchase a surety bond and, and open up my own business. So um, worked as a ma- you know worked as a journeyman with my master's license for a few years, and then decided to go out on my own in 2004, 2005. And just like every, you know, probably 90% of all trades workers, I was a good mechanic and terrible at running a business and didn't know the difference. So I struggled for a little while and um, had a lot of people tell me, you know, all the things I was doing wrong and help me out, which I'm thankful to this day for. And um, the kind of the rest is history. Just kept working hard and, and trying to provide for my family. You know, it started, it got married young and, and had kids young um, so that I was providing for now four people when I was just a few years into my business. And, and uh, I've, I don't, I, I want to say I've enjoyed it ever since, but it hasn't been easy. And uh, in 2012, <clears throat> I met a gentleman by the name of John Mason Brink. He's down, uh, he was an editor for one of the trade magazines. And he had an idea to start this website business called Mechanical Hub, and uh, it would be more or less like a a resource, an online resource for plumbing and heating contractors that were looking for information on hydronics and plumbing and, and a little bit of forced air. And so we, we kind of punted and put a plan together, and here we are in 2000, almost 19, and we're still online, and we're running a pretty decent business and I do all of our social media and that's how you know me from Instagram is motivation there was to you know I got to get this brand out there I got to tell people who we are and um, have a little bit of fun with it okay so that's so that's kind of cool because I didn't really understand or I didn't know that mechanical hub came from this website of resources and information I thought you just kind of started that on your own so tell me more about like the the website itself like what what can a technician go there to find like what kind of resources can they find on the website um mostly what you'll expect what you should expect from mechanical hub is is for it to function kind of like a trade magazine but it's updated daily it's online so it's no subscriptions free and uh you'll find product videos you know, news releases that come out from the manufacturers, hey, we got this new product coming, things like that. And we try to share that that information on a timely basis. I mean, literally sometimes minutes after we receive it because it being a website, it's really easy to update. And um, so John and I, and we, uh, we have another uh, guy that works with us. And so we try to create as much content um, organically as we can. We share a lot of information that's just in the industry. So you might see in a printed magazine, but we're doing it daily and trying to differentiate by interacting with the, you know, the other contractors that are on, you know, visiting our site. We do some video work. We visit all the major trade shows and we try to bring video and updates from those trade shows so that people that might not be able to go to the trade show can at least come to Mechanical Hub and see some new stuff that might be coming out from a manufacturer they like to buy a product from or tools or whatever. So it's yeah. really just a, 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 a lot of things all at once and we're constantly moving. So it's, it's making it's, more sense to me enjoyable. now. I, I, well, I, yeah, because I, I see the videos of you at the trade shows and it's making more sense to me now that you're getting out to, to all these trade shows and then 
putting the information back onto the website. And I was going to ask you, running your own business, how do you find the time to um, get away from the business and not do the work that your customers need you to do to go to these trade shows? How do you divide your time? Well, so it's been – it's that's that's the big balancing act, right? Um, for the longest time, uh, having a couple employees made it possible, uh, or at least the the – I, I could dedicate more time to the website as we're trying to grow it and take a couple of days here or there to go like to the AHR expo um, or uh, a small tool event, you know, Milwaukee would invite us to their new tool symposium yearly. And so we would go for a couple of days and, and you're right. I, you know, being away, it meant that I wasn't turning a wrench or were there to even answer the phone most times if one of my best customers called. So having a couple of people working for me while we're doing that was made it possible. Now fast forward and um, as time goes on, kind of figure out what really works best for me was that not managing employees is probably my strong suit. Uh, so in other words, I'm not very good at, at managing uh, multiple people. And I, it, it got really tough for a little while there of uh, about three, four years ago when the economy was still trying to pull out of the lull that it was in. And uh, I felt that all the work I was out trying to get was to pay other people's mortgages and health insurance. And it wasn't very much left over at the end for me. So we made some decisions here at home to, to scale back. And, um, and then now the juggling act again came with, you know, how do I spend time on the, on mechanical hub? and and Ani plumbing which is my my business my plumbing heating business and so i split it about 50 50 i take on less work than i used to um but the type of work that i take on is is uh more profitable i'm a little more selective but i've built a reputation in my community and really kind of a little bit of outstate minnesota where, um, i've worked very hard to become hopefully one of the better hydronic contractors in the area so that people uh, are, are typically referring me to all the work that I take on. And that makes it a little more um, easy. It makes it easier to be a little more selective, I guess. Yeah. Not, not trying to turn away work, but I'm, you know, the, the leads are quality. That's good. So I'm able to take on, you know, the jobs I'm taking on are, are already, going to be a little more profitable a little more understanding people are willing to work with you for timing and things like that gotcha so i wanted to ask you uh one question before i get into kind of the, the the work that you do so i've asked this on social media a few times and i think it, it kind of helps paint a picture because you're in, you're in minnesota right which which city are you in our town um i'm in a little small town called elk river which is about an hour northwest of downtown Minneapolis so right okay. on the edge of the metro area okay cool so let's let's say we're we're in the vicinity of of the metropolitan area what does the average or what what can a good HVAC or plumbing technician make like high-end and what is the average cost of like a 2,000 square foot home it kind of puts cost of living and and the, and, and what you make into perspective because I asked this question uh, about a month ago on social media, on one of my Facebook pages, and it was crazy to see the difference between what guys were making around North America and what the cost of a home was. And I, it just blew my mind some of the uh, the answers. So if you don't mind me uh, asking, like um, average cost of the house and then high end uh, money that a tech could bring home per hour. No, that's a, that's a really awesome question, and it's something I think about all the time. Uh, probably for the same reasons you do, because I know that the answers can vary so much from one place to another. Um, so in the metro area of Minneapolis, the average cost of a home is about $330,000 for what would be considered maybe your starter house. Yeah. Um, that would be, you know, 1,500 to 2,200 square foot house. Okay. Um, new construction. If you're looking at uh, existing homes, I think the average cost is probably around two hundred seventy-five thousand to three hundred thousand okay. in that in that size range. And then the average <clears throat> plumber's wage annually, 
is right around 60 to 65,000. HVAC techs, if you're doing service, are probably five to 10 grand less. And then of course you've got all those those business models that 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 incentivize sales and and service. That I know I know plumbers and I know heating. You know we'll, we'll just say call him a heating guy. Um, I know the, those two. I know guys that work in both of those positions that are making upwards of a hundred to one hundred fifty thousand dollars a year. Well, doing yeah. service work. Yeah. So where I am, like I'm in Toronto. Um, the average licensed, fully licensed technician could be easily bringing home a hundred thousand grand or a hundred grand, and that's Canadian. So we're looking at like I don't know, let's say eighty grand U.S. Right. Um, but the cost yeah. of a the cost of a home is ridiculous. It's like uh, uh, just outside. It's called the G, the Greater Toronto Area, like downtown yeah, Toronto. Yeah, GTA, right? Yeah, that's right, GTA. You're gonna pay you're gonna pay an arm and a leg inside of the GTA, but outside, like in this the close suburban areas, you're paying a million bucks for a two thousand square foot home. So I mean, oh, the wow. co- yeah, the cost of real, yeah, the cost of real estate is is in, is incredible and like out out in the like i am i i'm about an hour and a half north of the gta and the cost of homes out in the area i am is still around the 600 700,000 dollar area for like uh 2000 to 3000 square foot homes so I mean, it, it. I don't. I don't get how they get these real estate prices and where they come from. But we we went through this boom a few years ago, and it's kind of flattened out. But it hasn't really came down. I'm I'm hoping it doesn't. <laughs> well, I, I guess it doesn't really yeah. matter. Depending on when you're selling or when you're buying it, I guess it, the changes could benefit you or or not. But but that's kind of the deal here. Um, and what was the other question I was going to ask you? So you do a lot of hydronic stuff, right? Like boilers and, and whatnot. Yeah, it's probably about 90% of what I do and okay. have done for about the last eight years. That's cool. <laughs> so it, it falls in line with, with the H in HVAC, even though you, you are yeah. a, pl- a plumber by trade, right? Yeah, yeah. So a lot of uh, hydronics in Minnesota here are done by plumbing contractors. And, you know, some of the work is enforced. Um, it's not written in the code this way, but there are certain aspects of what I do that have to be done by a licensed plumber. With if I'm connecting to domestic hot water, um, that has to be done by a licensed plumber. So that being said, there are a lot of uh, heating only contractors that are not in, not licensed plumbers that are not employing licensed plumbers that are working on hydronic systems, of course, but. Um, whether they're getting around it in certain areas because it's not necessarily being enforced, but or in other instances they're subcontracting the the, the potable water portion of the job, um, they're using um, like a HVAC technician type of installer. So what what is the main when it comes to hydronics? What what are you uh, boilers, um, instantaneous water heaters? Like what is what is your main? Yeah, so we do, uh, go on, sorry. Well, I do I do um, about seventy five percent service and re- service repair and replacement, and uh, the remainder of the work in, in the hydronics portion of my business, about seventy five percent of it is repair and replacement, um, and then the rest would be new installation. I try to stay out of. Um, I don't work with any home builders anymore. When I first started out, I did for quite a while. Then the economy tanked, lost a bunch of money because a few of them went bankrupt, that kind of thing. Uh, Changed my business model and went direct to the homeowner. So almost, I'd say 99% of the business I do. Occasionally, there are a couple of contractors who will call and I'll work for them. Uh, Having worked with them in the past and had good experience, I'll do one or two jobs here or there. But um the the majority of all the work we do or I do now alone uh is done direct with the homeowner so I do mostly if not all residential work yep we're doing hot water boilers um almost everything we do is gas or electric in Minnesota we don't have a lot of oil systems uh there are some in outstate extreme outstate areas you know real rural 
greater northern Minnesota kind of areas, there are some there are still some oil systems around, but in the metro area, and as you get closer to the metro area, it's almost all natural gas, LP or electric. So, so let let me ask you this: so you're doing boilers; these are centralized in a home, right? So, how are we getting the heat to the home? Are we using radiators? Are we using fan coils with uh, like uh, kind of strategically placed around the home? How are we distributing that heat in the home? Um. <clears throat> I'd say up until about homes that were built up until about the mid to late eighties have, there's a lot of copper fin tube baseboard heat. Yep. Okay. Um, houses that were built really uh, post-war houses. So anything after about uh, 55, 60, you started seeing a lot of homes that, you know, track homes that were built, um, you know, by, you know, built in a day kind of thing. And they were, installing a lot of copper fin tube at the time um you get inner city with the older homes that are you know anywhere from 100 to 200 years old there's a lot of cast iron radiators and so as you move from the inner city outward uh, where the development was post-war you see the copper fin tube further out into the suburbs you go more modern you see a lot more forced air Um, and in those cases if there is a boiler in the house it would be done with a fan coil yeah or okay. radiant. So we do a lot of radiant systems uh, that are built with, you know, typical uh, oxygen barrier PEX type of in-floor heat. Do some radiant ceilings. Uh, occasionally when I have fun, we could get to put it in the wall, that kind of thing. Now, I've never experienced, I've never lived in a home or really even visited a home that has radiant in-floor heating. Um, but I'll tell you that I've heard that it's one of the best ways to heat a home because a lot of the times in the winter when you're cold, the, a lot of the, the heat, it leaves through your feet when you're walking around on a cold floor. But if you keep your feet warm walking around that, that floor, it kind of keeps your entire body warm. So there, there's a lot of value in radiant and floor heating, isn't there? Yeah, so the, it's the conductive process. So <clears throat> a lot of times, you know, in any kind of structure, uh, there's a benefit to having radiant uh, versus a forced air system for comfort purposes, for sure. And yeah, you know, I mean, I don't, I've never heard anybody complain to me that they, they, the floor, you know, a warm floor was uncomfortable. I've stood on one of those um, electric pads that people put under tiles, you know what yeah. I mean? And then strategic places, like I know I've been in, I forget whose house it was, but they had one, installed underneath the tiles where the sink was because they stood there and did dishes or whatever so that portion of the floor was warm and standing on that portion oh it was beautiful i loved it so i could just imagine the whole house being heated that way it would be so nice and it can and it can be so extreme you know with the hydronic systems with the high efficiency equipment and when they're installed properly um it can be just so extremely efficient uh, operating costs for the end user are low. You know, obviously comfort is high, and ultimately, to be honest with you, very little maintenance, and that's a great thing because I've yet to find more than about a handful of people in 20 years that have been doing this that even care to talk about maintenance or think about it. You know, it's always wait till it's broke, yeah, then we'll think about fixing it. You know, so. <laughs> It's a nice thing about hydronics and for the most part now appliances are another thing, you know, the boiler or, you know, just the same as the air handler and a furnace and the air conditioner or split system. I mean, all of that requires maintenance, but we can't, and, and we, we have no uh, enforcement hands on that. I know there are areas around, other, you know, other countries that require it. And I really wish we had that here, but it's not happening. So what's up so, to us as con- <laughs> just just north of the GTA when I'm driving um, towards home or even back down to work in the morning um, I pass a property and rumor is that Elton John owns the property um, I guess his husband lives in Toronto or he's from Toronto and when you drive past the house right he has this long kind of windy driveway and you can see it because it's on a hill and you're going up a hill and if you look the driveway has never got snow on it in the winter. And I'm like, 
does, oh, that, yeah. does that does that guy have a radiant heated driveway? Because that would cost. I don't know what it would cost, but this guy's driveway's got to be. It's got to be like half, not maybe not half a mile, but quarter mile long with the zigzags. Like, what would that cost? It's incredible. So I've done a fair amount. We just call it snow melt. So. I've done a fair amount of snow melt systems uh, for residential driveways. Back when I worked for a contractor, we did it for commercial properties. Um, there's a lot of benefit and there's a lot of motivation to do that, believe it or not, especially with commercial properties. Um, there are big incentives, not necessarily uh, upfront, but on the back end from your insurance company because you eliminate or at least cut way down on the possibility that people will slip on your sidewalk that kind of thing yeah um but yeah you're you're right to think or wonder or assume or just just know this that it is extremely expensive to operate well he's got uh, a lot he's of got, he's you know, got the money if anybody does <laughs> the guy's loaded well yeah you know i mean i i never make an assumption for any one of my customers that they can't afford it you know that, yeah. that's that's the first way of losing business but um <clears throat> you know there there's a lot of snowmelt systems all over the country and you know north america because i know there's a lot in canada too and it and and i've even seen it in you know more modest properties some some place that you or i could afford to live in and you know it comes down to you know what do you want and and how bad do you want it so (laughs) i've i've seen i've seen people's gas bills that hover around a thousand dollars a month just so they don't have to shovel wow and for my money um you know, and I'm not talking anything major, not a quarter mile long Elton John driveway. So uh, for my money, I can pay somebody to plow my driveway a lot of times for less than that. So. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yep. For sure. Um, so let me let me ask you this. I, I heard you say pecs. Now, is pecs we can bury under a floor and that that's okay? Yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. It, there's um, never never been any like experience. ruptures, ruptures or like uh, or leaks or anything like that that you've seen. Well, I mean, I've, I guess I have encountered some failures. Yeah, there have been products uh, in my time in the industry that have come along and gone away because they were uh, made of material or a process that was inferior. But for the most part, I'll say to answer your question it's not an issue. Um, the products that are meeting all the standards and, and have been proven for 20, 30, 40 years plus are, are definitely not going to fail, um, in like an embedded concrete or underneath the floor and on subfloor, that kind of thing. Yeah. It's really a non, non, non issue to be honest with you. I was going to say, I've never actually like, you see it all the time and it seems to be like a growing trend of in-floor heating. And I've never actually really seen or heard any signs of any major issues. So that, that is a good sign. And like, I don't do any plumbing myself and I've never actually, like I have pecs in my home. That's how they, they put the, um, the, the, the water distribution in, in my house is with pecs. I've never had a problem with it, but I didn't know you could bury it. So that that's interesting for sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty tough stuff to be honest with you. I mean, they run in the construction phase. If you're doing it in a you know a thick slab, a concrete slab, they'll run buggies across it, things like that. And it's it's pretty resilient. You'd be, I, I think, if you if you had the time to learn about it, you'd be surprised. I mean, to think that a plastic you know piece of plastic tubing could take the beating that this stuff really does. And then once it's covered with concrete, I mean nothing's going to happen to it except <laughs> I was going to touch on this the failures that we see are generally caused by other humans you know so drilling into floors or you know either because they don't know or they weren't taking care of the you know proper precautions at the time but the I'd say <clears throat> I've never personally experienced a failure because the tubing was bad. I know that it's happened for sure. Because like I said, there's a couple products that have come and gone. Um, any failure I've ever encountered or had to repair myself was, you know, man-made, you know, somebody drilling into a floor or setting an anchor or something like that, go too deep or just not taking, like I said, not taking the proper steps. I mean, you can see this stuff pretty well with infrared 
thermal in, imaging. So yeah, yeah, that's you true. Can, you can decide whether or not to drill that hole. You know. <laughs> yeah, and and I the pictures that I've seen online of it before the floor goes over top or before the concrete gets poured, it actually looks really clean, like the work. It looks really nice, and the fact that you don't have to solder. And, and worry about solder joints and that in the floor is, is incredible. I mean, cause then you get guys that don't know how to solder, you get a bad solder and you know what I mean? I would never trust a solder under the floor, but yeah, this stuff looks like it's, it's, it's pretty solid for sure. So, um, yeah. Do you, do you get into, into, um, any instantaneous water heaters or anything like that? Cause I've had a lot of questions on them from a lot of people. If they actually work well, um, they, do they, can they keep up to a couple of people having showers at the same time? Do you get into any of that stuff at all? Yeah. So I, I, when I was, you know, start first started out as an apprentice, I worked for a company that was doing large custom homes and had a customer base that was decades old. And, um, so that opened up to opportunity. They were pretty progressive and they're always willing to try something new and, and when I say try something new, it was relatively new. I know the technology has been around forever. Uh, to be honest with you, there are, there are 40 year old tankless water heaters out there, but they weren't popular until, you know, late nineties, early two thousands. And even then they weren't really popular. Um, so I think I've installed my first tankless water heater or was in on an install, uh, maybe 2000, 2001. And I was fascinated by it immediately. And just because there's a, a technical aspect and know-how that's needed to, to do the job right and trouble-free for the owner. And I never looked back. I just look forward on those things and I love them. I recommend them to my customers all the time. And to be honest with you, I, I can say this with, with uh, certainty that I've never had any major issues for performance. I've had a couple I've tried a couple models out that weren't maybe as good as others. And, you know, you gotta, you live and you learn, you try to try something new because maybe it's lower cost and, you know, they promised the world to you, but it didn't quite perform, but we've settled on one brand and a, and a couple models that they, they supply. And we have, I have just taken advantage of that as often as I possibly can. My my mother's house is in tankless water heating or a family's cabin has one in it. You know, there you go. That's my own house. <laughs> yeah, that's my take on them. Oh yeah, yeah. So if 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 you're gonna talk something up, I mean, and you put it in your own house, obviously you've got belief in the product. So what um, what is the brand that you think is the top of the line when it comes to the tankless stuff? Well, I know you know <clears throat> from a factual standpoint, there are a couple of really good models. What I what I spent, you know, where when I spend my money, obviously I'm making a decision there and I'm voting on a certain brand. I've been installing the Navian brand for a number of years. Uh, I don't know how quite how long ago it was, but it's been a number of years they came out with the current model that we are having, you know, a lot of success with. And <clears throat> before that, they had some models that weren't so great, but you know, like every company, they got to figure it out. And um, they're Korean made, uh, Korean manufacturer. All, they're all made in Korea. The other, the other brand out there that it does really well in the U.S. and has produced a really solid product is Renai, and they're a Japanese model. And they're actually, believe it or not, starting to manufacture some of their units in the U.S. down in Georgia. Uh, are you still there? Hello? Yeah, I think. Oh, okay, so did you, did you I, hear any of that? Yeah, no, I I heard that the manufacturer down. That's okay. <laughs> Some, sometimes. Yeah, I quiet for a second there. Um, so they manufacture some of them down down in Georgia, the the Japanese model. That's that's what I heard from the from the last uh, sentence there. Yeah, yeah, no, and that's where I ended. Um, so, to you know, to answer your question, I've been using Renai, or I mean, uh, Navian. I have installed Renai in the past. And really comes down to kind of a supply and training and, and service. So I've I've settled with the Navian model and had very good success with it. Yeah, cool. Like I I was thinking about putting one in my home. Um, I got my home is six years old and we got this really like we have a we have a, a tank 
and it's one of the more efficient tanks on the market because it doesn't run very much. Like you could be in the basement for an hour and never hear the thing come on. So, I mean, I, I know it's a pretty efficient tank, but I called them like, so it's a rental. I mean, most tanks are these days, I guess. So I called the, uh, the rental place up and I'm like, I was thinking of getting rid of this tank. And they're like, well, it's a thousand bucks to get out of your agreement. I'm like what? A thousand bucks. I'm like, they're like, yeah, we have to pay somebody to come get it and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, well, I said, I'm a gas fitter. How about I just remove it and I bring it to you guys. And they're like, no, no, we can't do that. I'm like, okay, whatever. So I'm still on the hook for this thing. But once I think there's like some sort of pay down plan after so many years, like that thousand bucks starts to decrease just like, when you buy a cell phone, like it, if you break yeah. it and you go buy a new one the next day, oh, you, you even got the, you got the cell phone for, for free, but if you break it and you want a new one, you got to pay 500 bucks to get out of your contract. So, so it's so, something like that. But once, once I can get out of using this thing, I think I'm going to go to the tankless because, uh, I mean, <clears throat> from what I hear, they're, they're really well-made. There's not a lot of problems with them. And, uh, I've been hearing a lot of good things. I actually did do a service call on one of them about, I'd say about four or five months ago. My friend, he called me up and he's like, yeah, my tankless water heater's not working. I'm like, man, I've never even worked on one before. So I went and had a look at it. And what it was is the, uh, the igniter, um, it was getting power, but it wasn't, it wasn't creating the spark. So <clears throat> I couldn't really help him out because I was way too busy. So he was able to track the thing down online and order it. And they sent it right to them. I mean, that's not supposed to be allowed. In case, you're supposed to be a gas fitter to buy these parts, but he was able to get the part and put it in. So, I mean. Yeah, the internet. Isn't that a wonder? Yeah, that, that's the only problem <laughs> you know, we, we, I've ever heard. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, I mean, we, we would complain, of course, in that situation that somebody else could do it. But then when we want it ourselves, you know, it's the best thing ever that, you know, I can just go online and order it. Oh, exactly. You know, I want to comment real quick. Yeah. So you have the, you your rental program for water heaters, as far as I understand, um, is now I could be wrong, uh, but I believe it to be a Canadian thing. And uh, like I said, I could be wrong. There may be somewhere in the U.S. or in other countries that do that. But I want to say this as a business owner. And somebody that's always looking for an opportunity, I look at that and I think, my goodness, that is what a business that would be oh, to go around yep. and collect. You know, it's 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 like it's like out. You know, starting your own cell phone company. That's <laughs> crazy. You know, people are using you know paying to use your water heater. You own them. You know, and then I understand that there's maintenance or service involved and replacement. So I know there's a lot of cost, but when there isn't cost involved, it's just profits, true profits, crazy. It's, oh gosh, I think it's, it's such an interesting idea. I've never seen anybody do it in the U.S. or at least that, I, that I've heard of. And so I've thought about it. I thought, man, I wonder if I could get that going, but I don't think I have the, well, have they, to the, the same company that rents the water heater, they do it with, they, they do it with everything. They do it with furnaces. Um, they do it with um, air conditioners. So let's say, you don't have an air conditioner and you can't afford the, the four to 6,000 or whatever it's going to cost you to put it in the, in the home. They'll be like, okay, well we'll put it in and you pay us $50 for life, like for the rental. So by the time that you're done, you end up paying like uh 12, 15 grand for this AC that, you know, that would have been four or 5,000 if you just bought it outright. So yes, it's an incredible business idea to do this. Um, but at the same time, you gotta you gotta think of the um, like, can I do this and my conscience is okay with it? You know what I mean? But I, I, I guess, <laughs> I, guess I guess in a way you are you are helping out people because they can't afford the upfront money, and you are running a business. And the number one rule of running a business is to make money. I get that. So anyway, go on. What were you gonna? Yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> I could look past it. After yeah. all these years, you know, I I know what you're saying, and I am probably just like you. I I don't want to take advantage of anybody, and I don't feel that that's right ever. However, I look at this, and it's a service, 
And when somebody comes to you looking and knowing what your service is and they know what it's going to cost, I don't have a problem with that. It's just like a credit card, you know? I mean, you know it's going to cost you money to use it, so <laughs> it's up to you, Yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah, no I, no, I agree with you. I mean, the, the people that are doing it and doing it right, I mean, they they are making money from it. And, and like, I, like I said, the uh, number one rule of a business is to make money, so. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I think it's I think it's I think it's a Canadian thing as far as the the business model goes. Um, but I, it, it, which makes me wonder, like, why is that not happening here? I I guess maybe I've just missed it. I, maybe it is somewhere. I'm not sure. Who knows? Well, that that could be my uh, my next um, topic of discussion on on my Facebook group. I'll I'll find out yeah, for you. How, I'll, I'm, I'll, I'm sure I'll you can find, find a lot of people you. that don't like the idea. Yeah. yeah, cool. Yeah. Okay, man. So I don't want to keep you too long. Um, I know you're busy and uh, I'll be going in. I'll be cracking probably a beer before I go to bed. <laughs> so that's that's, right my, that's my wind down time. I, I have bought a uh, case of uh, not King cans, but tall cans of Stella. So I'm going to enjoy one of those and kick back. Um, but yeah, I got to thank you for getting onto the podcast, man. I really appreciate it. I know we've talked about doing something like this for a very long time and I'm just glad we were able to get together. Yeah, no, I appreciate the opportunity. I do. And if you ever, uh, if I can ever come back on, please let me know. Oh yeah, no, no, for sure, man. Um, these podcasts are going to keep going for a while. So the more, the more guests and the more people that are willing to, uh, just kind of help me out with their time, the better. So if you do me a favor, when um, whenever you have a minute, if you can send me the link to your uh, your website and I'll put it into the podcast summary. So then that way other guys can go on and check it out and, and whatnot. Yeah, I'll do that right away. Awesome, cool. Okay, Eric, you have a great night and uh, good luck with the business and the website and, and I'll talk to you soon, man. All right, thanks, man. Have a nice night. You too. So I hope you guys enjoyed the podcast. Eric and I had a nice chat. I enjoyed it. I learned stuff. I hope you learned stuff. I hope you guys check out Eric's webpage, mechanicalhub.com. I'm going to put it into the summary of the podcast. Um, and if you guys don't check out the summary of the podcast, um, you guys can and should, because the tools I talk about during the podcast, I put a link to them. Uh, down below. I also put a link to uh, True Tech Tools so you can save money on your on your purchase 8%. And I put a link for the Testo savings as well, the preferred Testo pricing, a link to my website and, and other good stuff. So make sure you check out the summaries after the podcast, guys, because there could be valuable information in there, some stuff you might be interested in to link to and check out. But I'm out, guys. I've had enough. Happy HVACing.